You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number 13, where we ask Simon Feeney, do you Shang Han Lun? Hey everybody, I'm Fee Gitchen. And I'm Claire Pyers. Today we're talking to Simon Feeney. Hi Simon. Hey guys, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. We're going to talk with Simon about do you Shang Han Lun? Simon is a practitioner of Chinese medicine with his clinic in Port Macquarie, Australia, and he also runs Empirical Health, where he hand makes all the classical formulas of the Shanghan Lun and the Jin Gui Yao Wei. And they are available for online purchase at www.empirical-health.com. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. So welcome today, Simon. We're um, very glad to have you with us. And part of the reason that um, I was really keen to have you on is because when I met you the first time a year or so ago, I was so impressed with your level of passion and the level of detail of knowledge that you've gone into with uh, with regard to all of the Zhang Zhong Jing-based uh, herbal formula approach. Um, and so that was why we wanted to have you on to talk about the Shang Han Lun and the idea of do you Shang Han as in, you know, almost like a verb where there's a lot of people, who, you know, with a growing, um, a growing movement for people to focus on those Zhang Zhong Jing classics. Um, so can you tell us a bit about, um, Simon, how did you get started with the Shang Han Lun? Was it a part of your course? Did you learn it at uni or did you do more? Did it really come into full power for you once you graduated and done further study? Yeah, sure. Thanks very much for having me on, guys. Um, I think we really need this kind of discourse because it's, it's a really good opportunity for, yeah, for people in, in the world at the moment to, to communicate. I think that really lacks in our profession. So my hats are off to you, you both. Um, so, yeah, with the, with the Shah Han Lun, um, with my beginning into it, I mean, you know, Chinese medicine, I think, is kind of going through a bit of a renaissance period at the moment, which is very exciting. Um, you know, it's suffered so much tragedy over the years, lost so many important texts along the way. Um, so uh, something like the Shanghan and the Jingwei coming back into the interest of mainstream Chinese medicine is is very, very exciting. And it gets me, you know, and that's why it really brings out the passion um, of, the, of the classics. Because when I when I first started studying uh, Chinese medicine, I was really just really not really satisfied with the the TCM model, and I got to the last few years of my degree and thought to myself, this is not really making much sense. There's not too much. There's not. It's not systematic enough for me. I guess it wasn't practical enough for me um, because so so many things. There wasn't. It wasn't very clear. Basically, um, I wanted to see more of a dynamic way of treating, you know, something that represented natural phenomena. Um, and that's when uh, my teacher at the time, Pei Shan Wang, she was 
uh, she's a she's a she has a lot of um, a lot of experience with it. She you know she was able to quote a lot of the lines off by heart, and, and that was just amazing to me. And she was just such an amazing teacher, um, super super humble and and really amazing. But then when she started teaching the the Shan Han Lun, um, it was just like poetry to me. It's just you could see this see this you know this moving organic system, and, and it wasn't. It wasn't stuck in. Um, I mean, it had these 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 patterns, you know, but it wasn't about um, putting something into a box. It was just about seeing the transition between things and seeing that movement. So that was really really exciting. Um, and not to mention, it was old, which was really appealing to me because I um, studied um, like made herbal medicine for with a Buddhist monk for years and years before that. I was with him for about 15 years. I worked as a temple boy and I was ordained and um, uh, worked just basically observing how they made things in the temples. So I saw how they made the pills and how the kids ran up the coke of the trees to get the, the herbs for the monks and how they grew it on the temple grounds and that was, that was what herbal medicine was to me. Um, and to come into a system where everyone was doing uh, patent stuff and you know, was a bit, was very disappointed. I was very disheartened. Um, and then after that, so it was kind of part of my course. We just did the shaman. Um, we didn't do any Jingwei stuff. We weren't int- introduced into this. Is, you know, we didn't see the connection between the, the modern formulas and that's actually, you know, they all stem from primarily from, from these, these formulas and these concepts of, um, formula architecture. Um, and then, when I then I met um, Arno Versluis, Arno Versluis from uh, we practice in Portland and New Orleans. Um, he's a um, you know he graduated his PhD in China and he's uh, you know if people don't know him, I'm sure people, a lot of people know him, but if you don't, he's very worthwhile um, <laughs> getting to know. So after training with him, um, I did his uh, his um, his course, and that goes down for about two and a half years, and then I travelled all over the world to be at your seminars and to be a part of the, um, the lineage. And I basically never looked back from that because then that's what I've been implying in clinic pretty much uh, 100% of the time and very, very happy with the way that <laughs> that's happened. Um, you know, he, he, he gave me a system that I could follow, um, a system of diagnosis that is, because I think that's the main thing that I was struggling with. You know, no one really knew anything about pulse or about diagnosis, there was all these theories about treatment, but when it came to diagnosis, it was it was very poor. Um, uh, one of my pulse teachers was was great in clinic. You know, she she had some interesting ideas about you know this is a Huang Chi pulse, this is a Dangwei pulse, this is a Shai Hu pulse, etc. etc. And so at least it gave you a starting point, but it wasn't very comprehensive. It wasn't all encompassing like um, something like our system is. So. Um, and then just got out to clinical practice using those formulas. And I think there's a temptation when you start to try to be incredibly artistic about it and you know, try to get this formula blended with that formula. Oh, look what I'm doing here. And oh, this is so brilliant. I'm incorporating, you know, Qing dynasty formulas with Han dynasty formulas. Look at the way I've blended this concept with that. Wow, look at the way I've, you know, then you apply it in clinic and then you, your patient goes, nah. And you go, right, okay, so how do you backtrack from that? How do you go forward from that? Like, what is the, the process of treatment? Um, 
and you know because you need to learn from those mistakes and um, you know both your successes and your failures. So then I even already using a limited model of the um, I say limited in in the sense of amounts of formulas, but there's no limitation in what I can do. Um, but I started to further sort of focus my attention um, under the guidance of, of my teachers into using simpler and simpler formulas and really trying to get a handle on those. And it's just like anything, you know, it's when you learn anything, you just like learn the ABCs. I remember one of my the meditation teachers told me, you know, as I came in with all these questions, we we're doing this big for and I came in with all these questions. And he just asked me, he just said, you know, did you ask your parents why they taught you ABCs when you were a kid? And I said, no. And he said, well, why are you asking me? You know, trust me, like, if you want to learn to read, you've got to learn the ABCs. You know, you can't just learn to read. And it's the same thing with, with herbal medicine, I feel. Um, uh, you know, a great example of that is, of simplicity, uh, is uh, something like uh, gun cell tongue. And gun cell tongue is just one herb, you know, and we think, oh, you know, I'm better than that or something. I don't know what we think. Maybe our ego gets involved, but that formula is insanely effective. Um, so, so, you know, the way it treats croup, for example, like it, it's just phenomenal. You know, you know, one dose and people will just get over it if you can catch it in time because obviously in kids it can, it can happen very quickly. But something like that, just seeing how effective that was and just how we overlook such a simple thing. Um, so I started with that, started using simple formulas, single formulas, unmodified, according to, you know, the, the confirmation that they were in. So I'm talking about you know, six confirmations. There's different names to that, but I can sort of go into that a little bit later. But um, the... And then, you know, you do those simple formulas and then you start to go, okay, well, what are the classical modifications of those formulas? Okay, I can apply those, you know, remove this, add this, you know, remove one, chin, add by shell, folding, et cetera, et cetera, and shell, try jump, for example. Um, and, you know, following those, those traditional modification methods. And then after that, learning to blend the two, blend, blend two formulas together. And, you know, we, we do that off the examples of of the way in which someone like John Jinping did those, you know, modify those formulas. For example, the way he had Xiao Chahu Tang and Wei Tang, and he combined those formulas to make Chahu Wei Um But he did this, like, you know, did a slight modification. He, he halved the dose of Chahu, for example. So in this way, then we start to think about how to use these, how to blend these formulas and look for synergy between two formulas or, or um, you know, synergy between the uh, or common symptoms that someone might have, common presentations, uh, or typical pulse patterns that they might have. They might have a Shinchi one pulse and have a Guajia fooling one pulse, for example. So we can use Shinchi one plus Guajia fooling one. You know, again, we just adjust the dose. So in that example, you know, um, we take Guajia from one Liang up to three Liang to meet the, the fooling and the Mudan P dose. And then you add something like Tower, you add Tower and and um, Xiao Yao, Bai Xiao, Chu Xiao, at three Yao to meet the dose of those in, in Guajia Fuling one. And so that way, um, you're kind of blending these nice, these formulas really, really well together and it really gets a lot of um, structure, but you're still sticking with the classics, you know, you're still using a tongue and a tongue or a one and a one, like in, in, in the example I just, in the examples I just gave. So that kind of thing is, is, is really, really fascinating to me.
I think that's a really, um, that's definitely something that's under-emphasised at school. Like I remember in, um, you know, when we were at school was, you know, you're going through um, your internal med classes and you're going through, you know, your various um, classes in fourth year and, you know, it's, it's almost as if as soon as you learn a herbal formula and you've learned, you know, the, the theory of when it's applied, you, you're immediately learning about or, you know, being taught and being instructed on how to modify that formula without really having an appreciation for what that formula can do. And that's certainly something that I found for myself in, in clinic almost, well, not, not intentionally, but I think, um, you know, I definitely modify less now than what I used to because, you know, I, I know now that, you know, what, what Shao Chai Hu Tang does as a tongue, as an actual decoction, unmodified, is amazing and it doesn't like you can't even you can't even get close to that with sha chai hu tongue in granules and you can't even get close to that with sha chai hu tongue in pills but if you have it as a decoction at the dosages that were set out you know back by jun jong jing himself the person who created the formula so he knew what he was doing you kind of just go wow this is just this is just great why would i need to modify this and i think unless you've had um, yeah, that idea of not, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. It was already invented. Let's just work out, you know, what what it actually does on its own before we then need to modify it. And and I think that that's something that's definitely definitely missing in um, herbal education. Um, and I think that's something that definitely um, Arno has got, um, you know, has can take some credit for is that he does you know, in, encourage people to go back to that, um, to that understanding. It requires people to slow down as well in their learning, which may not necessarily feel like it fits the four-year degree model, you know. That's right. Where you need right. to just learn how one formula works and sometimes you would need years of experience to really have the full grasp of that single formula. You really do need years and years and years of, of experience to, to, to even get to the, to, the, to the basics, isn't it? So, um, yeah, just doing a few years of one, you know, in one set of structure and then, and then start to learn the modifications and then start to learn the combinations and then you can start to make your own, you'd be a bit more creative. But, the, you know, if we're not even getting the education in the first place and even how to use the formulas in their basic format, then we're really just jumping ahead of ourselves. Um, I don't think that this time as in our generation um, and where we are in, in our distance from, from what has happened, you know, in China from, from 1929 onwards, that sort of stuff, you know, where, where you know, the, the members of the TCM Association kind of congregated in Shanghai and they created this huge union association of Chinese medicine and, and declared the, the, the birthday of Chinese medicine. I mean, I think that um, it's it's kind of it was kind of the large the large part a bit of the death of Chinese medicine that really did a lot of damage um, because we weren't able to follow the way that it's been working for such a long long period of time. Yeah, you have such a wonderful depth of knowledge and relationship with the herbs. I just want to backtrack for a minute to when you were talking about growing up being a temple boy and observing and learning how the herbs were prepared there. I just I'm curious, where was that? 
Um, I studied with a, 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 it's a Mon monk, it's a Mon is like M-O-N, so the original inhabitants of, um, of Burma, um, some parts of Sri Lanka, um, sort of southwest China, also into Thailand. Um, they were the people who, some Mon brothers brought uh, Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism from India to to that area to Southeast Asia, basically. Um, and they had a huge kingdom there. And then I read in, it was called Hong Sawatoi. And then about 300 years ago, a Burman king came down from the, from Southwestern China and, and fought with the, with the, with the Mon. And then at the same time, the Thais were, were coming up. So they basically battled and battled and the Mon people pushed down into the peninsula and, um, yeah, it's basically a civil war for the last 300 years. So my teacher is part of that um, uh, nationality, Mon people. And so his medicine goes back a, a very, very long time. Um, and so I went with him to temples all over Burma and Thailand. We unearthed a lot of the old manuscripts pertaining to his, uh, his language. Um, and he's one of only five people on the planet who can read that old, um, old sort of dialect. Basically, it's like the equivalent of, of English and Latin. Um, and imagine if only five people in the world spoke Latin, you know, we would lose a lot of information. Let's just say <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard to sort of fathom um, how much information there is. But anyway, we would sit there and we would sort of be going through these Palmolive manuscripts and I used to document them for him. I would photograph them and digitalize them and so that we could preserve them because um, the temples were being ransacked by the Burmese military, um, and we were arrested many times and um, yeah, held at gunpoint. And we went through all these temples and we managed to smuggle a lot of stuff out. And um, yeah, he would just sort of you know throw this manuscript at me, and I'd say, "Oh, but this is an interesting one. It's kind of small and smaller than the normal temple size." He's like, "Oh, yeah, it's because the monks were stuffed in their robes because it's a medical journey." Oh, that's interesting. You know, what what kind of stuff's in there? It's like, oh, everything. You know. Like, well, like what? And he goes, oh, let me have a look. You know, oh, this is for, you know, when you're like, your uh, legs have got all stuff all over them and you've got all these welts and I'm like, oh, like leprosy. He's like, yeah, 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 leprosy. There's a formula for leprosy. <laughs> like, well, wow. It's just so. Like, yeah, this is everything. So it's really fascinating. It's so extraordinary. I can really feel that you've gone and regathered some of your many lives in this life. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> You're reawakening all of that knowledge, but it's yeah. it's really extraordinary story you have. Yeah, yeah. So that that's, that really got me interested, and yeah, we'd observe these, um, you know, the kids, um, you know, knowing about all this medicine from just from hanging out in temples, you know. You know, I would go there and I would go, oh, yeah, that's the doctor or something like that. And then you, the kid, some kid would come up with this big welt on their arm and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, just look at me. Fix that welt. You could see it like blistering away. And then someone would say, oh, well, we better grab the leaf, you know. And they would give me this leaf like I knew what to do with it. And then they go, oh, I don't think he knows. And then they would rub it on the leaf and it would just the problem would go away. And like, well, that's from that caterpillar, you know, and you use that leaf. Like, you're five years old. Why didn't you tell me this stuff? Like, you know that that's what I'm here researching. Like, oh, we thought you knew that stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just observing on a daily basis how they how they do things. They were cracking open these seeds once and opened it up, and they call it um, uh, pusa, which is like what's the Burmese name? It's the it's the this um, this sour 
buried. And I'm looking at the plant going, man, that's familiar. And I'm looking at the thing and they crack it open, they open it up, and this kernel comes out. I was like, that's Swan's RN. And so the plant ended up being Sisyphus um, Juju, you know. And um, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Sisyphus Spinosae, which is the which is the species that which is the, the species that, that where the kernel of Swan's RN comes. And I said, oh, what do you guys use for that? And they're like, oh, we crush this up, we fry it up, and we eat it, and it makes us sleep really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that one, but I didn't know that that's where it well, you know. So yeah, just observing these kids do do this every day and then just hanging out with the monks and watching how they just do everything and everything's just passed on just through observation was was a real blessing for me and I, I apply that, you know, to what I do now. So yeah. You know, one of the things from when um from when we first met Simon that really intrigued me was the conversation that we had about um, the way in which you make the Lee John one balls and that you went to the level of detail where where it's, you know, where the instructions say that you form it into balls the size of an egg yolk and that you went that you that you actually went back and researched what is the size of a Han Dynasty egg yolk. And you found that out and then used that in order to inform the way that you make the balls. I'm just fascinated by your attention to detail and your passion for, um, you know, for being true to the text. Mm. And even the distinction between a Han dynasty egg yolk versus a modern Australian dynasty egg yolk. <laughs> oh, look, there's lots of fun you can have with it. You know, I have a ball, uh, I think, you know, you really got to really, really real herb nerd to, to love this stuff. But um, and my dad's PhD in um, algebra, so that attention to you know <laughs> that sort of um, way of thinking just comes naturally to me. Um, and yeah, it's twenty three. It's, it's twenty three millimeters if you're curious. But it's um, yeah, we went and found out how um, you know when we contacted. Um, and chicken farmers, and it's the same thing with you know, and, and said, oh yeah, you know, what was the breeding techniques? And we've got these historical records of, of breeding techniques of all these all these um, chickens, just like they do with um, with rabbits, right? When we we're looking at when we we're looking at the size of the um, uh, the size of the Guija fooling one pill, which is the size of um, a rabbit droid. I'm like, how am I going to find this out? <laughs> but but we found it all out and just doing this intent, just just researching and researching. I just don't stop till I get the get the answer. Um, but what that informs us is, which is why I pursue it with so much um, diligence, is because it informs us on how long some of those formulas are supposed to be taken for, which is hugely important when you're prescribing in clinic. Because if you can say to someone comfortably, look. And John John Ding did this in, in the Shanghai Law, you know, like in, in five days the, the disease will resolve, in three days it'll resolve, etc., etc. Like, how do you know that? You know, was that a, is it, you know, part of that's based on astrology, part of that's based on numerology, etc. However, you know, a lot of it's just based on practical, uh, pragmatic application of, of, of understanding these herbal formulas. And so I obsessed myself with dose, um, uh, basically the dosage structure. Um, of of the shaman because I just wasn't satisfied with the way that it was taught and it's just um, yeah so that's what I'm pursuing a PhD about at the moment but um, the yeah so the the the, um, this, the the amount of the size of the pill is determined on uh, sorry the, the dose of the herb will depend on how much you make and then 
how big your rolling is going to be on, how much weight you consume, and then how much weight you consume is depending upon how long it's going to last. And then you can say, well, it's going to last you, you know, you've got things for two to four months. And the patient goes, okay, no problems. And then they know. And then if anything goes wrong in that period, you know that it's just part of that that development of their of their condition or whatever it is. Like, for example, um, uh, you know, I should give you examples for this sort of stuff. Like Marzarin one, for example, should be taken between two to four months. And I say two to four months because it, dep- it depends on how you – because you're supposed to dose it between, um, you know, 10 and 20 pills. Uh, and so when you – three times a day. So when you take those pills um, – you know, they might not be, you know, you give them for, for one week and, you know, the, the constipation might not resolve. But if you take it for two months, it will. So you know, okay, just don't worry, don't worry. Give it two months minimum, you know, give it between two to four months depending on how bad the constipation is. And in that time, um, they will start to resolve something. And then I just started seeing really strange little things which I thought were quite funny. Like I studied the weight, the size, because the size, the, the weight Oh, the, sorry, the dose of hobo in Lazarin one is one, uh, what's well, like one foot basically. Um, I can't remember the opinion moment off the top of my head. I'm sure, but the the one foot. Right? So I was like, well, how much is one foot of hobo? You know, like, well, how much is one foot of hobo? I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea of measuring that. So because if you want to get the dosages right and the ratio is correct, you need to know what the dose is. Of course, you can't just go, oh, yeah, I'll just read what someone else wrote. Okay, someone else wrote that for a reason. I want to make sure that's right. Yeah, so we measured uh, how old the, the magnolia officinalis, which is hopeful, how big they have to be before they are considered medicinal, as in they have the right therapeutic compounds and bark. So it turns out that they're about, uh, they have to be minimum three to five years old then, you know, what section of the bark's taken, therefore how thick it is. I went and bought some different um, different uh, grades of whole pour, different cuts of it. Um, and then we, and then basically weighed up, got, got that measurement, but then it's like, you know, how thick is the bark, how thin is the bark, that's depending upon age. And then how long is a foot, and it turns out to it's 23 centimetres, right? So we I, you know, weighed that out, got the right age, thing, measured it all out, the dose from that, and that's how we came to the conclusion. The dose, I mean, that's just for one herb, and we apply that to everything. So it's um, it's hugely important. The other interesting thing is that that that, that formula, um, you know, it's twenty three centimeters, and that formula treats like stasis through the small intestine. People think it's a large intestine thing, but I believe that it's a small intestine issue, um, and the, it, it teaches parasitic contractions through the small intestine. And the small intestine is 23 feet long, which I thought was really cool. Mm, <laughs> cool. So you've got, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess it would be a little easier for you, you know, you have a lot of questions for Zheng Zhongjing if you could call him up, which <laughs> makes me, um, I'd like to hear what you can say about your relationship with Zheng Zhongjing as your eternal mentor because um, any of us that know you will know your what would Zheng Zhongjing do or even what would ZZJ do? Sure, yeah. Um, I think, you know, um, if you, if, with, with this, like the internal mentor, yeah, if you mean um, sort of uh, like this everlasting mentor, then um, I don't think so because, you know, my first teacher uh, taught me how things are, are impermanent. Um, and, you know, my, the monk and my second teacher, Arno, 
is, is very pragmatic about the limitations of the medicine. Um, and, and so is Chiang Yung Jing. Um, and, and of course, our patients teach us how things uh, are always changing. Um, but it, it's such a fine line between, um, you know, what to change and, and what to keep the same. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, I think we need to keep keep that the, the, the fundamentals to the basics. But if I could ask him something. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I think I'd be so um, starstruck that I wouldn't um, <laughs> be able to say anything. I just, I just maybe just bow down or something like that. So, <laughs> oh, no, you could probably just hit, it'd be so amazing if you just sit there and you could just, you would just, uh, his light would just educate you or something like that. <laughs> exactly. I yes. didn't leave up like that. Well, we just ate apples of water, and I just sat in front of him for about an hour. And after it, I just felt like I knew everything. Yeah. And he didn't say a word, so that was pretty cool. I bet you would be like that. So you also have some experience. It sounds practicing in various locations and climates around the world. And I think this is really interesting because of the Shanghan Lun's cold-induced disorders. Um, the the naming of it, I think, can be a little confusing for people when it comes to um, looking at things like cold and heat and whether or not they're treating cold-induced disorders. Um, what is your experience with different climates and, and working with Shang Hanlun? I think, yeah, there is a big um, uh, big misconception about what the Shang and the Jingwei are um, so just quickly clarify that, I guess. So it's, it, it's. I mean, it is. It is. You know, the first book, the Shanghai is is on cold damage, but um, but primarily the the texts are about the preservation and protection of 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 Jingqi, the upright or righteous qi. Um, you know, often in um, what we learn, it's, you know, the Shanghai is contrasted against something like Wending School, um, but Wending is just an extension of Yang Ling disease. Um, you know, originally the book. The, the Shahan Lun and the Jingwei were, were written as one book, um, and that was the Shahan Zabin Lun. And then, and then Wang, Wang Suhe, Wang Shuhe, who split that into the Jingwei and, uh, and, and the, the Shahan Lun to, to give people a better, a clearer, um, differentiation between six confirmations and you know, these complex disorders. So, um, yeah, you know, in terms of different climates, I don't think it's really relevant. I think I think you know Shanghan Lun can be Shanghan Jingwei can be treated can treat anybody in any climate in any situation because in reality, the last two thousand years, the body hasn't changed uh, pretty much at all. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, you, you know, did. I, I still, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, you did mention that there are some, even keeping with it true to the tradition, uh, there are still some variations that occur due to our modern era. Um, are there any of those you can give examples of? Um, what, what, sorry, or, what did you mean? Maybe I misunderstood what you said, um, that there were some circumstances or um, I have to go back and remember what you were saying, is something about that there would be some modern, some very modern variants due to our time and place and world these days? I mean, there is and there isn't. You know, I, I believe we're still subject to the same natural phenomena, you know, physiologically as we were 2,000 years ago. 
very little has changed you know, for us as a species. Um, and, and moreover, you know, the, the very little has changed in the sense of the disease, disease progression or, or like pathological pathways that are inherent in the human body. Um, but some things have changed, of course, in, in terms of technology and living standards. Um, you know, like air conditioning is a perfect example, but, but this is just, you know, if you look at, take, take a modern example like air conditioning, but then just say, well, that's just shut on Jonathan, you know, cold damage, uh, um, from, from wind strike and, Guajitang governs that, so you know, you know, I mean, the first formula comes to mind. Um, but there, I guess there are, you know, there are small changes. But like, you know, uh, just be quoting Arno here when he sort of says that he hasn't seen the limitations of, of the medicine. I don't think I've seen that either. Um, you know, my my other teacher, the monkey, always reminds me that we need to adapt to to different environments, um, but. He says that because he's bringing it from uh, some old Buddhist fables where they basically just say, um, you know, Buddha says to, to the medicine, one of the, the medicine monks, he says, you know, um, the medicine monk comes, comes to Buddha and says, oh, you know, what, what can you teach me about medicine that I want to learn? And he says, oh, well, go, go out into the forest and eat everything you possibly can and sit and contemplate it. Um, meditate on that on that on that plant, and if you have any questions, come back. And so you know, years and years later, this this monk comes back and it's like, I've got no questions. Wouldn't like, well, you did it properly, you know, because he he adapted. He was just observing from his environment. Um, I'm probably not answering the question very well, but um, basically, I don't think anything's changed. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen anything different the, the conditions might change like the new viruses might change but it's still you know if you look at a viral condition it's still in Xiaoyang you know they've got a Xiaoyang pulse you use Xiaoyang pulse goes away pattern goes away for example you know I use very high doses in my clinic and we get Epstein-Barr virus we get um, uh, forest, forest virus we get uh, um, you know other you know mosquito-borne conditions or um, or tick bonk and you know things like Lyme disease or something like that. That's probably a little bit different, but but um, but most of these mosquito borne viral infections, every single time, shall try it, and the patient just comes back. And it's gone. It doesn't matter what the virus is. It's it's the you know the same same um, physiological in, impairment or um, uh, uh, you know you know it's basically inhibiting the, like physiological pathways. Which is what what the Shan Anlun is is based on. Um, so this is this is it opens up an interesting um, question about this idea of um, six levels and six confirmations. So when it comes to uh, six levels, the, the translation can be really mis- can be really misleading as well. It's the same thing with people have mis- a little bit of a misconception about cold damage. Oh, I don't use shaman because that's it's not coming from cold. I mean, that's just that just you know that's not right. But um, so, but when it comes to six confirmations, also this translation becomes a bit misleading. Like we kind of use this word word like um, uh, levels, or we use like six levels, or six warps, or six divisions, or even uh, the differentiation of syndromes according to the six phases. 
And I think each translation of that is very, very interesting, but the, the best translation and by extension of that, the explanation um, is, is six conformations. Not confirmations, conformations. So uh, this is the translation that, 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 um, that Arnold uses, and I think it's really the one that gave me the best understanding of what's happening. So, the, uh, I mean, from my perspective, a conformation is that a certain natural phenomena are not conforming to what they should do, and therefore they are rebellious, and they're rebelling with a group of signs and symptoms, you know, like in Shaoyang, it's like bitter taste in the mouth, dizziness, pain in the intercostal muscles, etc., etc. So those 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 symptoms, a set of symptoms, are are confirming are rebellious, and therefore they are not this. The Shaoyang is not conforming to natural phenomena, and so we need to regulate that. So, I I really like I really like that approach because it leaves. That you know the old argument of is the Shaoyang or the Yang Ming like which one's more external and which one's more internal and like the, it just goes on and on and on and everyone thinks that their version is right like you you don't even need to engage in that question if you're not looking at them as levels or stages because it's you know it just becomes irrelevant. Well, not, not, not irrelevant, but, yeah, it's, it, you kind of miss the point if you're getting to that level of discussion. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're not looking at it as a moving entity, you know, like it can change during the day. It should change during the day. You know, you've got six confirmations moving throughout it throughout a single day. You know, you wake with Tai Yang, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it goes around. So, um, and, yeah, that, that if your body's not moving in those, in those patterns, um, you know, I remember when I had um, a Shishin Tums presentation, I was presenting with like epigastric fullness and all this sort of stuff, and I had, had a bunch of Shishin Tums pulse, and, and um, Arno felt the pulse, and he's like, oh, yeah, it'll get worse in the afternoon because, you know, it's a young Ming pulse, and um, young Ming gets worse in the afternoon. And I'm like, yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, it's because it's young Ming, so I'm you know, like, duh. Um, so, yeah, that was, it was very, it's a very good translation, and I think those kind of little tiny things are, are so key to, to, to figuring out um, what's actually going on. You know, if we just take for granted, we don't read, we don't, you know, we don't read all these, you know, these are six levels. If, when I, I remember when the, the word six warps came out, I was like, wow, that's cool how it warps and stuff. But it's still, you're still thinking linearly, you know? Or divisions are still thinking linearly. Levels, obviously, is thinking linearly. You know, the, the confirmations, it's, it's a dynamic system. It's, it's, it's moving. You're seeing, you're understanding, you know, the difference between something, you know, natural phenomena and rebellion. You know, it, it's a very, very, very good way of, of understanding it. Yeah. And does that, does that um, also blend into the way that you use acupuncture? Do you use acupuncture in your, in your practice? Um, acupuncture, yeah, I, I, I really don't have too much to say apart from, you know, the concepts of the, the Nanjing are, are much more in line with, you know, the Han Dynasty traditions and, and practice. And there's, but there's, you know, really unfortunately, um, there's very few people that, that practice that kind of medicine that can do it. You know, David White, um, who practices in, um, in Sydney, you know, he, he teaches Nanjing acupuncture and, 
you know, he you should really you should speak to him about that because uh, he's much more qualified. Um, but but some of the modern applications are interesting. Um, you know, so some of um, Dr. Tan's stuff is interesting. How you know you can it's clinically applicable, and you know you can treat Xiaoyang when it's Xiaoyang, you can treat Tai Taiyang, Taiyin when it's, it's those things, and that's that's it's very interesting. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um, uh, but um, uh, yeah, I, I think you know acupuncture suffered such a great loss. Um, you know, from you know, in this development in the, in the you know, uh, late twenties, um, which you know, be, like it's herbal medicine's having a hard time recovering, and like I was saying before, we're in the Renaissance period now, which is fortunate. And I think um, with acupuncture, it's it is is it ever going to represent the way that it was truly practiced? There are a few people around that are doing it, and that's that's really comforting to hear that that, that actually is there. Um, and there's a couple, there's a chapter, you know, there's a, some, some discussion in, in the Shaman Zabin Moon about, about acupuncture. And it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting to study and to look at. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but I, I mean, my, my focus is, is, is herbal medicine primarily, yeah. Wow, Simon, you're so interesting. I'm glad we're doing a double episode with you. <laughs> So anyone who's listening uh, who wants to hear more from Simon, you can tune in again for part two. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you, Simon. Um, we might wrap it up now for the, the Shanghan Lun. Um, but it's been such a pleasure to listen to you. Thank you. Thanks very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah. And if anybody wants to uh, interact with this podcast and continue the discussion on our Facebook page, please do. It's the Heavenly Chi Facebook page where you can make comments or find further things to talk about here. And if you get Simon talking, you might get him talking all day. So (laughs) thanks, everybody, for listening and um, see you next time. Bye for now. (laughs) 